All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today I'm going to be talking about the potential cap cuts the Falcons could make in the quote unquote salary cap massacre that's going to occur over the next couple of weeks, as well as talk about the possibility of trading Calvin Ridley. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at FalcFans.com, RIP. Still going strong on Twitter at FalcFans. And, of course, the host of this preeminent Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In today's episode, we are going to be answering a couple of listener questions, one of which is about why the Cardinals could sign J.J. Watt ahead of free agency. Pretty simple answer there. We'll answer another listener question, which will probably involve me going on quite a bit of a rant uh, about the possibility of trading Calvin Ridley and, and why I think, you know, that's a pretty silly notion to be entertaining. But we'll, we'll get into that uh, later on today's episode. But sort of first, I want to get into more conversation about Falcons making some salary cap cuts and we'll get into sort of maybe the possibility that. Guys like James Carpenter, guys like Tyler Davidson, as well as Dante Fowler, why the team has not cut those guys yet, because they're maybe potentially waiting to make them post June 1 uh, cuts. And we'll get to that later, specifically. But what spurred that on was a tweet from Diana Rossini of ESPN. And it went, you know, just texted with an NFL head coach about the upcoming cuts and what he expects. And quote unquote, it's going to be a massacre next week all around the league. And that got me thinking, and we've already started to see several guys get cut over the last, you know, 48 hours. For example, the Raiders cut Gabe Jackson on Wednesday. They are shopping Trent Brown, uh, which to me, I think is a precursor of them cutting him later on. We already saw the Dolphins cut Kyle Van Noy, and it's sort of leading to that idea of this so-called massacre where it sounds like for a lot of teams, anybody that they can cut, they will cut this offseason because I think teams are going to want to get out of some of these contracts that they've uh, given out. We've already seen the Falcons cut players like Ricardo Allen, Allen Bailey, and Kurt Bankert. More cuts seem to be imminent. James Carpenter, Tyler Davidson, Dante Fowler have been guys that have been rumored, and we'll talk about those guys. But I've also seen some people list players like Quadro Olison, Deidre Sonat, as potential cap cuts and in a world where the Falcons already cut Kurt Bankert, which was a surprise, I can't automatically rule those two guys out from being potential cap cuts. I think the problem is that you're not really saving any money by cutting those guys. For example, if you were to cut Deidre Sanat, it would free up about $920,000 in salary cap space, but the veteran minimum salary is $850,000. So you would essentially be only be saving if you went and replaced him with a veteran minimum player, $70,000 in terms of net cap savings. And unless you were insisting on using an undrafted free agent uh, to fill that roster spot with their veteran minimum being about $660,000, again, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, you're talking about a savings of less than, you know, 300,000. And with Quadriola said, you know, his cap savings would be 772,000. So it would be less, uh, you know, it actually be adding more money. You'd be paying more money if you were to replace him with a veteran player. So I think if the Falcons cut those guys, it will be similar to what we saw with Bankert, where 
you know, they weren't cutting those guys to save money. They were cutting those guys because they thought they could find better options out there. One player that, however, could be a potentially on the bubble and where it wouldn't necessarily be that case is Isaiah Oliver. And cutting him, according to Over the Cap, would free up about $2.2 million because he hit his performance slash playing time escalators in his contract. And you would presumably, if you were to cut Isaiah Oliver and replace him with a veteran minimum player, you could save roughly about $1.33 million. And that would be enough space for you to go out there and sign another veteran. So it's the idea of, you know, the amount of money that we could save by cutting Isaiah Oliver could go out there and get us two players at whether it's a corner, uh, a corner in another position to address. So I would then potentially list someone like an Isaiah Oliver as a potential surprise cut. I don't think the Falcons will cut him, but that is a possibility. Another name to throw out there, but I even feel dirty putting it out there and saying it out loud is, is Josh Harris, the Falcons long snapper. You know, if that were to happen, I would definitely expect the Falcons at that point in time to fill that spot with a rookie, which probably means they're going to wind up drafting a long snapper in the late rounds. And that would save them roughly about $400,000 if they were to do that. You know, I think that would be a fairly petty and and pointless cut at that point in time because, you know, that savings isn't necessarily like it is in the case of someone like Isaiah Oliver going to allow you to go out there and get another player. You're just basically cutting a player that's really good at his job and Josh Harris just for the sake of saving, you know, couple thousand dollars. But I do want to get a little bit deeper into these player cuts, talking specifically about Davidson and Carpenter and the possibility that they have not been cut as of yet because the team may decide to designate them as post June one cuts. And we're going to get into that as we continue today's locked on Falcons podcast. But before we get there, guys, you know, I had to Go get some routine maintenance done on my car. I had to get some brake parts replaced, get a a taillight replaced. And I wound up paying a lot of money for it. And immediately after seeing that receipt and seeing how much I pay for it, I had to go and check out what I could have saved by going to a website like rockauto.com where they always have those reliably low prices for all the auto parts that you need for your car or truck. And of course, when I went to rockauto.com's website, and use their easy-to-navigate catalog. I was able to type in the parts that I was looking for and found them for much cheaper than what I wound up paying. And whether I was looking for brake parts or tail lamps in my case, or you're looking for engine parts, motor oil, floor mats, you can find them all at rockauto.com with just a few easy clicks and have them delivered directly to your door. So don't be like me. Go to rockauto.com right now ahead of time. See all the parts available for your car or truck. And when you do write locked on in the how did you hear about us box that they know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com. So we just wrapped up black history month in February and the locked on podcast network honored the challenges and successes of black men and women in sports with a new series called locked on presents more than the game. The last two episodes One featured a discussion on protests in sports leagues. Another one featured the importance of black history in sports. That one, the latter, included yours truly. So go check that out. In addition to the other great shows on the Locked On presents more than the game feed, which you can subscribe to on the radio.com app or wherever you get your podcasts. So before we get into the potential releases of guys like James Carpenter and Tyler Davidson as opposed to one cuts. I do want to answer a slightly cut related question from a listener first. It comes from AJ McCrary at AJ Crary on Twitter. Yes. Since legal tampering begins on March 15th, how can JJ Watt talk with and sign with Arizona now? 
that's because J.J. Watt was cut by the Texans. Players that are cut, like Ricardo Allen, like Banker, like Allen Bailey, are free to sign with anybody at this point in time. They are free agents right now. Their free agent period starts the minute they get cut. Players that are becoming free agents, meaning that their contracts have expired, technically their contracts do not expire until the start of the new league year, which will not begin on till March 17th officially, but the legal tampering period does allow them to begin to talk to teams on March 15th. So the Cardinals weren't tampering by talking to JJ Watt because he is available right now. Cut players and free agents are different. So let's talk about the possibility of post you one cuts for the Falcons in this so-called massacre uh, that's going to happen. And a hat tip to pro football focus for putting this idea in my head. And one of the ideas that we'll talk about a little bit later is something I've mentioned previously, but Joe Corey talked about this recently as well on a bird noises podcast with Matt to over at the official site. Uh, so these are sort of two ideas that were incepted into my brain. And now I'm going to talk about them on the podcast, but in this case, with pro football focus incepted in my brain is that they listed a, a bunch of potential cap cuts for every NFL team. I think on an article that they had last week and it mentioned James Carpenter for the Falcons, of course. And what was interesting is that they predicted him to be a post June one cut, which was a little bit of a surprise to me because I've assumed all along that, you know, James Carpenter would be a quote unquote regular cut, which would save the Falcons about $4 million in immediate savings. But the difference between making him a quote unquote regular cut and making him a post June one cut has everything to do with the dead money. As I've explained previously on the podcast, if they cut him as a regular cut, they would take on about $2.4 million in dead money this year. If they made him a post June one cut, that money would be split over two years. So they would essentially get an additional $1.2 million in savings. So that would make their savings about $5.2 million this year instead of $4 million. But as I noted before in the salary cap one-on-one episode two weeks ago, they don't get those post June one savings until after June 1st, which is in this case in June 2nd. And then that money at that point in time would essentially be designated to help sign in the Falcons rookies. Now, based off of overthecap.com's calculations, the Falcons would need about $4.5 million to get the rookie class signed in cap space. Let's round that up to $5 million. So essentially cutting James Carpenter would be able to cover the cost of their draft class. Previously, I've discussed the Falcons cutting Dante Fowler as a post-June 1 cut for that very reason. They would save a little shy of $8 million come June if they made Fowler a post-June 1 cut, which would allow them to not only sign their rookies, but also have them have the flexibility to scoop up a veteran cast-off before camp, similar to what we've seen them do you know, the past couple of summers with Darquez Denard and Allen Bailey. And when we talked about the Falcons cutting guys like Allen and Bailey and Binker before, we talked about, okay, why didn't the Falcons decide to cut Carpenter, who I was who was a player that I listed as a lock to be cut? And I speculated then that maybe it's related to the fact that he was hurt at the end of the season, and there's typically some hurdles that teams have to jump through if they're going to cut a player that can't pass his physical. And I, again, I don't have any inside information on that in this case with Carpenter or in the past case with the example I'm going to use two years ago where the Falcons waited until the league year started before they cut Ryan Schrader, which was a player that I speculated back then as nursing some unreported injury during his final season with the Falcons in 2018. So it could be a similar situation as that with Ryan Schrader with Carpenter, where there may be an injury there. That's the reason why they're delaying that release. But one idea going back to what pro football focus is incepting into my brain uh, is now that I'm at least contemplating is that they could be at least contemplating 
making Carpenter a, a post June one cut. And the reason why you would wait for that is because you're not allowed to do that until the league year starts, right? You can't officially designate a player until the league year starts as a post June one cut. And if I can did this five years ago with Paul Solia. Now, what was interesting about the Solia situation was that we knew a couple of weeks ahead of time that the Falcons were going to cut Paul Solia. They just didn't make it official until the league year. And that was related to the fact that the Falcons had asked Paul Solia to take a pay cut. He said no. And the Falcons were like, okay, well, we're going to cut you. That leaked out publicly through his agent or whoever, the, you know, the inside sources, which 99% of the time is agents. And, you know, the Falcons proceeded from there. So I don't think that's going to be the exact circumstance with Carpenter in terms of asking him to take a pay cut, but that does potentially apply to guys like Dante Fowler and Tyler Davidson, who the team could or should in in Fowler's case approach to take a potential pay cut. By the way, Tyler Davidson is in a similar boat to Carpenter. If the Falcons were to straight up release Davidson, they would save about $2.2 million this year. But if they waited, if they designated him a post June one cut, they would save closer to about $3.5 million. In the cases of Fowler and Davidson, if the Falcons were to try to do a max restructure by lowering their base salaries and turning the difference into signing bonus, they would net savings of about $6.5 million in Fowler's case and $1.6 million in Davidson's case, according to overthecap.com. Now, those aren't savings to scoff at, but I think you could potentially save a lot more money if you were approached him to take a pay cut rather than restructure them. And, you know, I think in both players' cases, it does behoove them to potentially take a pay cut. Now, let's use a very rough example in the case of Dante Fowler of what potentially I'm talking about. Now, Fowler currently is set to make $13 million in base salary this year six of which is already guaranteed with the remaining 7 million set to become guaranteed on March 22nd. Now, what if the Falcons decided to lower his base salary to the veteran minimum, which is $990,000, but let's just say a million dollars to make it easier to process and turning that $12 million difference instead in a normal restructure, you would turn that all into signing bonus. Instead, maybe they would give him like a $5 million signing bonus which would allow him to still make the $6 million, the 1 million base salary plus the 5 million bonus, the $6 million that he's already guaranteed to make this year. And then the difference could be tacked on in terms of performance or statistical incentives that he could make up some or all of the rest of the money. If he hit certain benchmarks, like starting 16 games, hitting double digit sacks, making the pro bowl, et cetera. So and if you're in Dante Fowler's shoes, you basically have to decide, do I take the $6 million guaranteed from the Falcons that they're offering in this, um, example pay cut plus the incentives. Is that a better option for me than taking my chances on the open market where I have to go out there and compete for contracts with guys like Shaq Barrett, Yannick Ngakwe, Melvin Ingram, Bud Dupree, Leonard Floyd, Trey Hendrickson, Machidon, Hassan Reddick, and not to mention probably several other players that are going to get cut this off season in the next two weeks when I'm coming off a three sack injury plague season, maybe Fowler could get more than $6 million on like a one year deal from another team, but it's far from a lock. So in that situation, it would make sense for Fowler to basically take that pay cut, take the $6 million that the Falcons are going to get him knowing that they're probably going to cut him next year. And he would still get another opportunity next year to get a bigger, more lucrative deal, particularly if he's able to rebound this season in Atlanta. Right now, I'm not saying that this is what Fowler should do with his money. That's his decision. I'm not even saying that this is what the Falcons should do. I'm just using a sort of a very rough estimate. I don't even know if the the pay cut that I'm outlining is even one that the rules would allow them to do. But that's something that I think makes sense for 
the Falcons and Fowler in both instances. And I think this is a situation where the Falcons do have some leverage here, much more leverage than teams normally have because Fowler's having a had, coming off a bad year. And you couple that with, this is kind of the least ideal off season to basically be a free agent and wanting to make money. Right. So I think that will lead a lot of players. And I've seen people like Joe Corey speculate on this, you know, it will lead a lot of players to basically take the best offer, take what they can get this year. And this was something that Joe Corey said on the board noises podcast. In addition to talking about the Falcons approaching Fowler to take a pay cut rather than just restructuring his contract. It makes sense for players to take what they can get this off season, hope that they get another bite at the apple next off season where they can get uh, more money. If, and when the salary cap rebounds and, and teams are a little bit more willing to spend. And by the way, the contract that I outlined for Fowler would save the Falcons about $9 million this year, um, which would be a lot more than what they would save um, if they restructured him or even if they saved, made him a post June one cut. And of course the main difference is that you're getting that $9 million in March as opposed to waiting till June to get that. And so that's $9 million that can be used to spend on free agents. And of course that, allows the Falcons to, I don't know, go after some top tier free agents like Joe Tooney or, or Carl Lawson or something like that. You know, you got, you guys got to let me have this, you know, I have, I don't ask for much from the Falcons, but I just, I just need you to go out there and solidify, you know, steal one of those free agents from the Cincinnati Bengals. That's all I ask for you. That's all I really ask for this team. I don't ask for much. That's all I ask. But that being said, we will leave that conversation there and we'll just sort of have to see how things unfold over the next two weeks with the Falcons and their salary cap situation, whether some of these guys wind up being cap cuts. And we are going to continue today's locked on Falcons podcast by talking about um, the possibility of trading Calvin Ridley and whether the Falcons should explore that. And that probably will lead to a slight rant, but we'll see if I can sort of keep it under wraps. But um before we get there, guys, I want to let you guys know that Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. The NFL might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, NHL, NASCAR, and FCS college football are all in full swing. And Bet Online even covers award shows, TV shows, and a reality TV. You can get real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. All you have to do is head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today at betonline.ag. Use the promo code locked on to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's promo code locked on to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So Thursdays on the Locked On NFL podcast are a must listen with Ryan Tracy and Jake Lisko breaking down all the teams from across the league with an analytics and team building perspective. Get that expert analysis on your favorite teams from Ryan and Jake every Thursday on the Locked On NFL podcast. Subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. So our final question comes from Andrew G at Drewski 411. Not probably not the Drewski that is famous on Twitter, but Andrew asks, would it be beneficial to trade Calvin Ridley now after activating his fifth year option in one or two years, he will be paid like a top five player, but is he a top five in the league? Could we realistically trade him for a mid first to late first to get Bateman or Devonte Smith? And that's Rashad Bateman, the wide receiver from Minnesota, Devonte Smith, of course, the wide receiver from Alabama. So to answer your first question, would it be beneficial? I mean, sure. It'd be beneficial from a cap standpoint, but it wouldn't be beneficial to your football team. You know, if you think it's beneficial to 
not have a number one wide receiver on your team, then yeah, sure. It's beneficial there. Um, is he top five player in the league? Probably not, but you know, does that really matter? Like, is it such a crime to pay top five money to a top 10 wide receiver? I, I don't think so. And why, you know, Bateman and Devontae Smith may go on to be very good NFL wide receivers, but you know, why give up a guy that you know is a potential number one wide receiver that has like five more years left of his prime for some unproven guys. So like, this is interesting to me because, you know, I already know that Calvin Ridley's paying Calvin Ridley is going to be a very polarizing topic with Falcon fans. It, it all, it always is when, when it comes time to paying people, all of a sudden people get real stingy with a wallet that does not even belong to them when it comes to the Falcons. And look, I, I say that knowing full well that I am the first person to talk about what players are worth and what I would pay guys and, and whatnot. But it is one of those things where I just don't understand when you know a guy is good. It's it's different when it's another team's player. And for the most part, I would say 95% of the time when I'm being stingy about the Falcons money, it's almost always a player from another team. It's not a player, an in-house player, a, a proven high level player. You know, I'm all about paying your own in-house guys, but for some reason, Falcon fans, and, and maybe this doesn't just apply to Falcon fans, but they get real stingy when it comes to paying their homegrown talents. Now, I think Calvin Ridley will get the fifth year option for those of you, uh, you know, I'm like 99% confident that that's going to happen. Hayden Hurst, I think is a question mark. Uh, Ridley's fifth year option is projected to be $11 million. According to over Hayden Hurst is about five and a half million dollars. Those are going to be their 2022 base salaries. Those would be fully guaranteed if the Falcons do decide to exercise them this off season. And so there's essentially no way of getting out of paying that once they are exercised. That's the way that the new rules work. The only way that the Falcons could not pay that money is by extending those guys or trading those guys in, 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 in Andrew's suggestion at that point in time. And then, you know, if they were to trade those guys and that $11 million would go to whatever team, you know, Calvin really plays for, uh, in 2022. Um, I think those are really palatable figures for both players, you know, based off of 20 current contracts in 2022, uh, $11 million would make Calvin really like the 15th highest paid wide receiver, uh, five and a half million dollars in 2022 would make Hayden Hurst the 12th highest paid, uh, tight end. You know, I, I feel like giving those guys extensions, you know, we'll see about Hurst. I, I think a lot depends on how Hurst performs this year. I do not, I'm not sold that the Falcons will give Hurst that fifth year option. I think they'll kind of let him play out this season. Um, and then sort of figure it out from there, but we'll see uh, again. That's a little bit of a toss up, but Ridley again, I'm, I'm, I'm confident that he'll get that fifth year option and then sort of what his contract is going to be. Cause I do expect the Falcons to try to give him a contract extension next off season in 2022 is going to largely be dependent on what wide receivers get paid this off season. And I've seen projections for all the various free agent wide receivers like Kenny Galladay, Allen Robinson, Juju Smith, Schuster, Will Fuller, Curtis Samuel, Corey Davis, and Chris Godwin being in that sort of 18 to $22 million range, which would make them, you know, top five, top 10 uh, type of wide receivers. Julio makes $22 million uh, currently. So, you know, if those guys get paid in that range, I'd be pretty confident saying that Calvin really is probably going to get paid in a similar range, at least $18 million a year. And I think Godwin and Galladay would be 
very comparable. Though they would sort of set the market for Ridley because in 2019 they had similar production to Calvin Ridley, where as what Ridley had this past year, where Ridley was 11th in receptions, uh, sixth in, in or fifth in uh, wide receiver yards this past year, and seventh in touchdowns among wide receivers. So you know, I think him getting paid like a top 10 wide receiver makes total sense when you have that type of production, and particularly when you project him in the future, where he's probably going to be playing without Julio Jones, but more on that later. So you know, I don't really get trading Calvin Ridley. You know. I, I've already seen sort of people out there with their various uh, Calvin Ridley's overrated narratives. He's not an elite wide receiver one, you know, and I think it's due to people sort of getting used to Julio Jones over the last seven years. You know, my part of my rant is like, I, I think this is the downside of rankings that people have spent the better part of seven years arguing about Julio being this wide receiver one. And now all of a sudden that Calvin Ridley is, I don't know, wide receiver seven, wide receiver nine, something like that. It's like that guy's not worth anything. You know, I, I think with Ridley, you know, he's going to be 27 this December and presumably if he can stay healthy, he should be expected to play at a pretty high level until he's what, 32 or so, which means he's probably got five more peak seasons left in him. And I don't see why you would want to trade that away. You know, given the fluidity of the Falcons quarterback situation, don't you want to have an established wide receiver regardless of what you do at the quarterback position? If you keep Matt Ryan, you want to give him a young, talented wide receiver that he's going to have a strong rapport with for the next three to five years that Matt Ryan's going to be playing in his twilight years of his career. Or if you turn the page and turn to a young quarterback, don't you want to have a peak Calvin Ridley for that guy's first, you know, three, four or more years of his NFL career? similar to what Matt Ryan had when Roddy white was here, right? When Matt Ryan was a young quarterback and had a, a young Roddy white in his peak over his first, you know, four or five years of his NFL career. So whether Calvin Ridley's a top five wide receiver or not, was Roddy white a top five wide receiver when he was playing, he had one season where he was a top five wide receiver, which was like 2010, but he was a top 10 wide receiver. You know, like who, who, if I ask you who are the top five wide receivers in the NFL today, my guess is that there was probably like six names that most people would throw out there as, as their five DeAndre Hopkins, Julio Jones, Mike Evans, Tyreek Hill, Mike Thomas, Devonte Adams, right? Maybe some people would throw Stefan Diggs into that conversation uh, after the year that he had. Okay. Those are the, the top, you know, six or seven guys in the NFL, right? Does that mean players like Galladay and Godwin and Allen Robinson and Amari Cooper and Tyler Lockett and A.J. Brown and Adam Thielen and Will Fuller and Terry McLaurin and D.J. Moore and Robbie Anderson and Keenan Allen? All these guys stink because they're not top five wide receivers, right? They're, 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 no, their team shouldn't pay those guys. They should trade all those guys because they're, quote, unquote, only top 10 wide receivers, top 15 wide receivers. Look, Andrew, I'm not saying this to attack you. But I've already just sort of seen the battle lines get drawn for some reason when it comes to Calvin Ridley. And like, it's like, well, he's not good. He's overrated. He's all these things. It's like people need to learn to appreciate what Calvin Ridley is and not hold it against them what he's not. You know, what Calvin Ridley is, is a really good third down wide receiver, right? Did you know that if you look at the last three seasons combined, Calvin Ridley is 15th among all wide receivers with 47 third down conversions, which doesn't seem so impressive at first, but when you realize that he's competing with a guy who's fourth on that list with 57, it becomes a little bit more impressive. Not to mention that when you start factoring in targets and the fact that he's converted 57% of those third down throws to him into first downs, you know, and that may, again, that may seem like, oh, 57%, that's not a big deal, but guess what guys, that's the highest conversion rate of any wide receiver in the league 
other than Will Fuller, who's converted 62% of his throws, that has had 30 or more successful third down conversions. And that includes a list of 50, over 50 wide receivers and tight ends. So Calvin Ridley is number two on that list out of the top 50 wide receivers and tight ends in the league in terms of his value on third downs. When Matt Ryan targets Calvin Ridley on third downs over the last three years, his passer rating is 133.5, guys. 133.5. You compare that to what Ryan's passer rating was when he was targeting Roddy White over Matt Ryan's first three years in the NFL from 2008 to 2010 on third downs. It was 107. I'm sorry, 100.7. So it's 30 points higher than what it was with Roddy White. You know, I just feel like Calvin Ridley, along with guys like Chris Lindstrom, is our integral foundational part of this Falcons offense moving forward. Like, if you ask me two years from now, who do you know is going to be a Falcon? Who do I know is going to be a Falcon in 2022? I know Calvin Ridley is going to be a Falcon. I know Chris Lindstrom is going to be a Falcon. Outside of that, I don't know anybody else. You know, I, AJ Terrell will still be under contract. But outside of that, certainly on offense, I don't know anybody else is going to be a Falcon on this team two years from now. You know? And so when I sit here and I think, like, why are people – you know, looking to deal Calvin Ridley. I, I can only come up with a couple of sort of logical reasons for it. I think, you know, the first thing is that people are assuming that Julio Jones is going to play forever, which I've been telling people for two years. It ain't happening. I said two years ago when we were going through Julio's contract situations initially is that 2021, maybe 2022, if the Falcons got into a situation similar to what they did with Tony Gonzalez back in 2013, where it's like, let's, we're, you know, we're on the cusp of winning a Super Bowl. Let's get the band back together for one more year. You know, and so like for me, it's like this is probably going to be Julio Jones's last year in Atlanta. And even if it's not and they keep him for 2022, that's probably going to certainly be the last year. And so you need to be focused on who's going to be your go to wide receiver in 2023 and beyond. And in 2024, let's say 2024, that's going to be Calvin Ridley's age 29 season. He's going to be the same age in 2024 that Roddy White was when he had his best season in 2010 and the same age that Julio Jones was, you know, in 2018 when he last led the NFL in receiving yards. That's his peak. He's not going to be hit his peak until another two years. It's the arrow still pointing up guys on what he is going to be than what he already is. And he, what he already is, is arguably a top 15 wide receiver. So again, if you want to split hairs about where he's going to wind up, whether it's top five or whatever the case may be, then I don't, I don't get it. The other reason must be because people don't like Calvin Ridley because he doesn't win at the catch point. He's not, he's not going to win those 50, 50 balls. He can't, cause he can't jump. Right. We know that I joke about it all the time. He can't jump. Right. But he's not going to win at the catch point. Like they think a number one wide receiver, like a Julio Jones, like a Roddy white were able to do. And like other top tier wide receivers are going to do, but Calvin Ridley wins with separation. Again, it goes back to what I'm talking about where people want Calvin Ridley to be something that he's not appreciate what he is. He wins with separation and he's extremely good at that. You know, I won't sit here and say that he's the best in the league at doing that because I think it would be only fair to say, okay, who's the best route runner? Who's the best at winning the separation in the league? I think Devontae Adams and Stephon Diggs are more deserving of those honors. But if, if Calvin Ridley ain't one or two, I'd be hard pressed to find someone who's more deserving of being number three on that list of the best route runners in the NFL. So like I, I sit here and I, I wonder like what, what, why are we discussing this possibility of getting rid of Calvin Ridley. You know, the presence of Ridley is a big reason why I am not on team drafting a wide receiver at four, like a Jamar chase. I would certainly understand if the Falcons did draft a wide receiver like Jamar chase at four. 
I wouldn't agree with it because I think all you really need is a capable number two because you already have Calvin Ridley on the roster. And you don't need to use first round picks to find capable wide receiver twos that are just need. You just need the guy to catch, you know, four or five passes a game. You know, you can find that guy in round three of almost every single draft. In, in my opinion, it's better to wait to draft that wide receiver two in round three and wait on that guy and use that number one pick on a player that you can't find in round three positions like quarterback left tackle a top tier pass rusher or an outside corner. You can't find quality players. The premium at those positions is such that you can't find those guys later in the draft after round two, you know, that well pretty much dries up every single year. So for me, it's one of those things where like, you know, Calvin Ridley to me is an integral part, an integral piece of this team's future that whether we're keeping Matt Ryan and, you know, again, you know, it it must be because people just think Julio Jones is going to play until he's like 36 which I, I just sit here and I go, good, good luck with that, man. Good luck with that. So if you're going to trade Calvin really just so you can get another young, unproven wide receiver, and again, nothing against Rashad Bateman, nothing against Devontae Smith. They're probably going to be successful NFL players and all that. But why? So you, you don't have to pay Calvin Ridley $18 million because he's only the ninth best wide receiver in the NFL. Oh my God. Oh, terrible. Get rid of him. He's a bum. Oh my God. He's the sixth highest paid wide receiver. And he's only the ninth best wide receiver. Wow. No offense, Andrew, but it's just, I, I don't get it, man. Explain it to me. Someone explain it to me. Explain it to me. Because, like, you know, Andrew, I'm, I'm, I'm coming after you on this one, but I've, I'm, I've already seen the symptoms of this battle lines that are already going to get drawn that a year from now, people are going to be arguing, is Calvin really worth the money that we're going to pay him? I don't think blah, 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 blah. Just like every year. People, I mean, it's ridiculous, man. People were doing the same thing whenever someone's time to get paid. They did it with Grady Jarrett, man. And I, I sat there and I'm like, are you guys, what, what is going on, man? I don't get it, but all right, I'm done with my rant. I'm done. Appreciate it guys. Um, we will do a free agent Friday to wrap up tomorrow's, uh, to wrap up the week on tomorrow's episode. And we will talk about free agent running backs because I know some people were very upset about the idea, disgruntled about the idea of the Falcons signing a veteran running back why would they sign a veteran running back when they could draft a running back in this weak running back draft class why would they do that hmm. Hmm. now weak is my word not theirs but uh we'll get into that on tomorrow's episode guys so i appreciate it and if you <laughs> want to send in a question so that i can you know rant about it on the future episodes of the podcast of course you can hit me up on twitter at locked on falcons on facebook at locked on falcons or you can send an email to locked on falcons at mail.com until then guys